Hello and welcome to the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb, and as always, I am joined by Dustin Ragusa. Dustin, you dry yet from that rainy game in Stillwater on Saturday? <laughs> Yeah, got a little wet and wild out there, but hey, 2-0, baby, 2-0. Sometimes that's what it takes. It was a, a <laughs> phenomenal game, phenomenal win for the Cowboys, won in uh, undramatic fashion, which is always nice going up against another Power 5 team. And um, I thought Arizona State was a little bit better than I was expecting, a little more athletic, a little faster sideline to sideline. We'll get into all that, but a, a great environment uh, for you know two and a half quarters in Stillwater on, on Saturday, I told you right before we jumped on, it was like that first raindrop came through and I took my daughter to the game and it was about five seconds after that, my wife was ready to pack up the car and get going. And, uh, we didn't get to stay for the whole thing, but, uh, I'm sure it was a, a great close in Boone Pickens stadium. Yeah, it, uh, it definitely wasn't like the most pleasant experience in the rain, but still had a good time. Uh, went up with some friends and, with people leaving, we all ended up getting to kind of sit next to each other in my section. So that was pretty cool because obviously that doesn't normally ha- always happen, but I wish, wish it wouldn't have been raining. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was a great game. And again, we can get right into it, Dustin. I saw a lot from this team. I think, you know, my biggest takeaway, we can start with that and, and, you know, throw it over to you for anything that you saw just on a, you know, high level and then dive into it. But, um, I think the ability for Oklahoma State to win in a different way than they did last week is a nice thing to take in to the end of the non-conference and beginning of the conference schedule here. I, I thought that Oklahoma State early on in the game didn't get a lot going. I think a little bit of that is by design, trying to feel things out, also trying hard to establish the run. I think we saw why, because in the third and fourth quarter, Oklahoma State just absolutely pounded Arizona State and really just kind of ran over them with the game um and I thought that that was a really nice thing to see because it it took us a little while to see that last year and now you've seen really two ways that Oklahoma State can win either airing it out or ground and pound and win a, a kind of ugly game yeah and we talked about it last week you know there wasn't a ton to get from the film from the northern Arizona Arizona State game both their coordinators are new. They lost 17 to the transfer. Basically all their wide receivers, a lot on the defensive side as well. And they came out and Gundy mentioned this in his radio show this week as well. They came out and did some disguise kind of stuff on defense. You know, we talked about how they just basically dropped into zone against Northern Arizona. They played a lot of cover one last year. So they did some disguise type stuff. They were switching back and forth a little bit between man and zone. And then on offense, they basically didn't use Jones a lot in the run game at all. You know, they had some zone read stuff that the Cowboys were able to blow up, but they went empty a few times, which we didn't really see a lot. They did that in the second half and got a big play off of it. So I think a lot of that was just not knowing really what they were going to do. They were a really hard team to prepare for. And I thought they were a little bit better overall than I expected. I thought, 
Actually, we got really close, I think, to both of our score predictions. One more touchdown from Arizona State and OSU, and we would have been at mine exactly. But so it, I don't think the game really went exactly how I thought, but it ended a little bit more like I thought with the kind of the score discrepancy there. Yeah, I, I, I was impressed with Arizona State's physicality uh, up front, at least for the first half of that game. I think Oklahoma State just has a little bit more than they do in the trenches on the offensive line. And then I think Dominic Richardson really kind of proved himself in this game as that running back one and a guy that you, you can give the ball to 27 times. I, I think that was all by design. You know, the other thing I thought uh, Arizona State's defensive team speed was noticeable. Um, I think it was really noticeable coming off of Central Michigan and right into that one. I, I thought that they were able to make plays sideline to sideline that Central Michigan just simply was not. Um, and then you look even at, on the offensive side of the ball, there were some plays that they were able to make, I think also because of their team speed, um, not necessarily, you know, knocking, you know, scheme or anything else like that. I thought Arizona State had a good game plan coming in, but I was, I would totally agree with you. I didn't think they were great. I thought Arizona State was better than I was expecting. And Oklahoma State took care of business. And on a crazy day of college football, where you saw number six, number eight, and number nine, and number 12 go down. Uh, I'm sorry, not number nine, number 12 go down at home. It's like, well, I'm not really going to gripe about a 17-point home win against a Power <laughs> 5 team in the rain that looked better than we thought. So, you know, Dustin, with that, I mean, we can get kind of right into it. And I, I think, you know, if, you, if you've got anything else on that. No, I mean, look, you good starting with the offense? Yeah, I think we should. All right, so 465 total yards, just kind of scheme-wise. You talked about it a little bit. They started off the game in 10 personnel. I think I think I want to say it was like the first – have it right here. The first four plays, so that kind of first series and then the, the next play of the next series, I believe, was straight 10 personnel, four wide receiver. And then they started going pretty heavy 11 – and mixed in some 12 later, but 11 personnel was the bread and butter. Again, they used it 61% of the time. 10 personnel, you talked about it. You know, Arizona State, they came out two high safeties. They really only had six in the box a majority of the time. Didn't bring a ton of pressure for more blitzes. And I think Oklahoma State over time just kind of adjusted to that. They were heavy zone per usual. And what they did that I noticed, Cade, and you and I talked about, is once they figured out that Arizona State was really only going to have six in the box, they brought that Cowboy back in. Yep. They had the five linemen. We talked about their linebackers being really aggressive and maybe we could get them, catch them in over-pursuing to the play. And they started with that split zone play where the Cowboy back blocks across kind of like a trap block and the offensive line goes the other way, either for stepping to the right for inside zone or stepping all the way out for wide zone or outside zone. And they were releasing the tackle to the trap block side. So the tackle, so the cowboy back was on the right and the tackle, the left tackle is releasing straight up to the linebackers. And then the uncovered player, which was normally Preston Wilson at center is releasing straight up to the linebackers. And we talked about how this offensive line was struggling to get to the second level. Well, that's an easy way to get there. Cause you're just yeah. sending two guys straight at the second level defenders and Arizona state was just caught off guard by that. 
and I think I wrote it down on split zone plays, either split zone or zone bluff where Sanders keeps it around the edge 14 times for 75 yards. That's 5.4 yards per carry. Sheesh. Well, that'll work. And that was something that Oklahoma state leaned on heavily last year, especially early on in the year. You look back at that Boise state game, won that game on the ground. Texas game early in the year where they were struggling offensively really split zone was that was kind of the birth of it 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 feels like I know they've they've been running it for years but that was the you know I look back on that team and think about it that way so I mean it, it's great to see that um Arizona State ran a similar play I noted it in my in my rewatch early on in the game where they released tackle and center up to the second level and they caught Oklahoma State in that play I think they gained like 11 or 12 yards on it but um it's a nice little wrinkle that we we haven't been used to yeah and you know when Arizona State started kind of catching on to that they utilized some wide receiver motion we saw that orbit motion where the wide receiver goes behind the quarterback and running back when they're in the pistol Saw that a lot last year. Hadn't seen that. I don't think they did that in the Central Michigan game. We also saw Brendan Presley come across on kind of a, I called it a jet power read. Basically think of power where the backside guard pulls. But on this, instead of Spencer meshing with the running back, he's meshing with Presley. So he can either give it on the jet sweep or keep it himself up the middle, depending on what that unblocked defensive end does. So they mixed in some cool stuff. And you know, we thought they would do this. I actually thought they would use a little bit more motion. We saw some cowboy back motion and stuff like that, but they really got the Arizona State linebackers who are both really talented players in Soli and Merlin Robinson. They got them just kind of caught off guard, I think, a couple of times. And that's what led to some of these big runs along with, if we want to start with the running backs, we already hit on them a little bit. Dominic Richardson, not only did he add some elusiveness to his game, which you and I and Coach Gundy were calling for, he continues being able to break tackles. Yep. He did it against Central Michigan, but now he's done it against Power 5 Arizona State. He is such a powerful runner. It's It hurts to watch him do that, and it's like terrifying, but he gets back up every time. I think the, the key for him is if he can break through that initial you know, two yards beyond the line of scrimmage, He's an incredibly difficult guy to bring down because of that, you know, maybe average elusiveness. I would agree with you. He he seems a little more shifty side to side, has a little more wiggle to him than he did last year. But now that we're seeing a lot of him, I think once he gets that like third and fourth step past the line of scrimmage, he becomes a different type of running back. I think he wants the contact. I think he... I mean, his the ball security to this point in the season has improved, and that was something that I was worried about. When you've got a running back like that who loves contact and and basically decides, no, I'm running over you, um, ball security is super important. So those two things add up to what I think is, you know, maybe outside of, you know, a, a shifty, impossible running back to bring down in Jalen Warren, I think you've got one of the, like, better fits for this system and what they want to do offensively in Dominic Richardson. And I, I really go back to the way they wore Arizona state down in the fourth quarter. I mean, they were, they were done. They, they basically threw the towel in. We were getting eight to nine to 10 yards of carry. Dominic was running over guys in the secondary. It was just like, well, maybe that's why you give them the rock so often <laughs> so early because you get to that third and fourth quarter and it's lights out. I mean, it's just over. Yeah. And Cade, we, 
we hit our numbers in a lot of ways in this game in the running game. You know, Gundy, Gundy changed his number, by the way. I, I believe he said 4.2 last year. Now he's saying 4.5 yards for carry is where I he needed to be at. I love 4.5. Yeah, so, right, so we're right at 4.3, right in that range. And Dom, through two games, is averaging 5.4 yards per carry. Also, Cade, PFF has him. Now, this number may be slightly skewed because I think like right when he gets touched, their computers start counting it. But... 152 of his 192 total yards this season are after contact. <laughs> that sounds about right, though, because he's not yeah, breaking I mean, through untouched often, and then he gets hit. You can't arm tackle him. No. I mean, we've seen that. Like, there is no way to bring him down with one arm. And he, I think he's looked great in the past game, too. Those, those screens are working to him well. Preston Wilson, you called it out last week. President Wilson is down there so fast on the screens. He's almost like running past the play and he always just absolutely smashes somebody. So the, the halfback screens were working really well. You know, we talked to Dom even admitted it when they talked to him after the game that he had, you know, a little bit of issues early finding the seams. And that's something we talked about. Yep. You know, Oklahoma state zone running scheme. You need the offensive line to block it well, but you also need the running back to be able to find the cutback lane or find the seam. And it's just something Dom needs to keep improving on. He struggled a little bit early, but as the game went on, especially in the second half, I thought he did a good job of not just kind of blasting through the line of scrimmage, but actually making a cut using that trap block on the split zone and finding the hole to where he maybe didn't get touched every single time and get those yards after contact. So I thought he did a really good job. Comes back in after the ankle injury, which we're not going to get into Arkansas Pine Bluff just yet, but I don't know how many carries he's going to get if he's still nursing that ankle injury. So just overall shows his toughness, not only running the football, but coming back from that injury. Well, and I mean, we have... Dominic Richardson only carried the ball 79 times last year, 44 the year before that. We haven't seen a, a lot of him, an overwhelming amount. The t- there's tape out on him, but I, I think I'm impressed with his durability and the amount of hits he takes and just pops right back up. Again, looking at how Oklahoma State wants to close out games, I, I think that that is one of the ideal scenarios is essentially just run away with the game in the third and fourth quarter. Um, and yeah, I, I thought he was great. One thing we talked about last week was his um, ability to chip as he's leaving the line of scrimmage and then go out on a pass play. So he's chipping and making key block and then going out on a pass. He does that and then runs the ball the way he did on Saturday. I think you've really got, I mean, a, I, I already think you've got solid RB1, but I think even some of the conversations we had in the preseason, like, well, does somebody else become RB1? Like, I, I think for now that conversation is settled. Like unless somebody else comes along, I think that's settled. I agree with you. And I think that's a great call out on the past, bro. We, we talked about it last week. Like I said, Arizona state didn't bring a ton of extra pressure, extra guys on pass plays, but I didn't, I didn't have Dom with any missed assignments in the blocking game. And he did so well on those chips. It, it was just the cowboy backs and the running backs have been doing a, such a great job helping the offensive line and pass pro through these first two games. It's been really, really fun to watch. Well, something really interesting that happened when Dom goes out, Ollie Gordon comes in as the number two. Yeah. Without DeAndre Jackson, 
who is still day-to-day, and my apologies, I was wrong on that. I had heard that he would be ready to go for this game, which he's not getting much reps in practice at all. So side note there, when he is available, I, I don't know when he's actually going to play. Hopefully they get the bye week in there and he's ready to go. But Ollie comes in there. I think Jaden Nixon, and Gundy has said as much, is kind of your more chains of pace guy, which yeah. you and I have alluded to in the offseason. A guy you can bring in on you can use in the passing game you can pitch the ball to maybe run some counter stuff and get around the perimeter i think without jackson ollie gordon is your number two guy behind dom is that no i i think you nailed it uh last week on the podcast and it was pretty cool when ollie comes out there uh you know not really second string but getting second string carries I, i thought that that was really cool and i mean he comes out and makes some plays right great run on third and short to extend a drive, a key drive late in that game. Oklahoma State's only up 10 at the time. And then the very next play turns around wide open in the flat, you know, easy t- easy pitch and catch for a touchdown. But, um, yeah, I think what he gives you is more of that power. I think he's he's got a lot of elusiveness, especially for a guy of his size. Um, and, I mean, something else that people may not be paying much attention to his balance, he he doesn't go down, you know, on that first second hit, it doesn't seem like. And it seems like you're going to need a convoy to get him down. And so I love what you said there about, you know, you've got kind of those two guys and then Nixon as a very different style of running back. Um, I hope they get a little bit more creative with him. You know, right now what we've seen is he comes in and there's a screen pass. Like I, I would love to see maybe a little bit more use of inside zone with him on some potential home run hitter type of plays. Maybe we'll catch the defense sleeping and hit him, you know, right between the middle. I'll be Looks interested great on see. special teams. He really does. I'll be interested to see how they use him throughout the rest of the year. Yeah. And you, you see it with Ollie as well. The stuff he's got to work on. One of the things is kind of what Dom has to work on. You know, he just needs to get a little bit better with the zone running game of kind of finding the gap. We haven't got a lot of, a lot of snaps to watch him, but you you can tell he wants to break it outside like he did in high school. Oh, yeah. Get to the edge. Oh yeah. Get around there. And he's so good at breaking tackles. Like you said, and he's very elusive that it honestly works a little bit sometimes, even at the college level, but he'll mature there. He'll mature overall, obviously past pro. We haven't seen a lot of reps from him there. Any back coming from high school is going to need to work on that, but I've been impressed with what I saw so far. He had about the same percentage of snaps, as the CMU game, when you look at total snaps, but I think overall, just the fact that he came in when Dom came out was big time. Yeah. You, I mean, you call it on last week's podcast. We could drop a clip in here if we were better at editing this thing, but yeah, you (laughs) said he's going to get more carries and then he runs out there, you know, essentially getting second team reps. So it's pretty good. Pretty cool to watch. Dustin, you kind of were talking about it earlier. I, I I know we've got to get to Spencer Sanders, but you were talking about the importance of the cowboy back and the running backs in the blocking and, and assisting out Oklahoma State's offensive line. It shows in the stat sheet. I don't know what PFF graded him at. Maybe you've got that. But all I know, Arizona State had zero sacks and two tackles for loss compared to Oklahoma State's eight tackles for loss and three sacks on Saturday. I know Arizona State's not world beaters in the trenches. They don't have a Colin Oliver on the edge, but that's definitely something you can build on, especially – early in the season and it really something Oklahoma state wasn't doing early in the season last year. So. Yeah. I I thought the offensive line as a whole 
played pretty well. I, I think the pass pro maybe was a little bit better in the Central Michigan game, but maybe that's the fact that Central Michigan tried to bring pressure a few times and we were able to pick it up, so it just looked a little bit better. There were a few missed assignments here and there in pass pro, but overall, it sounds like Dunn, Dickey, and Gundy just got on these guys at halftime, and they came out and looked tough in the second half. And even when... Even when Spencer was under pressure, I'm looking at PFF right now. You know, he was about 56% when he was under pressure. PFF only has them blitzing twice, I believe. So you want that completion percentage up a little bit more. But I I think they did pretty well overall. I'd like to see it maybe continue to improve in the passing game. But in the run game, I thought we saw improvement game over game. Something odd that I noticed, Cade, and I know you did too because we talked about it. But after those kind of first couple of drives stalled, Jason Brooks and Joe Maholski yes. came in for Woodard and Jake Springfield. And Brooks, aside from that unsportsmanlike in the holding, I thought he actually looked really good. He got a little bit of help from Dom and pass pro on one play. But Maholski looked pretty good. He, again, struggles a little bit in pass pro. But the, they brought those guys in to run block. These Those guys are tough and nasty in the run blocking game. If Brooks can clean up the penalties Gundy said it as well. They need this guy. And and we've seen in that first Central Michigan game and those snaps he had, he can run block well. Wilson, I thought, did a good job. Materko actually looked really good in the run blocking game yeah, at times. He did. You know, he struggled here at times. He he still gets pushed back a little bit, as is Wilson, with some of the tougher linemen or guys kind of bull rush him. But uh Etienne in this game, run in pass block. I thought he was really solid. I think Gundy gave the overall line a B. I'd give him a B plus. That's fantastic. Yeah, I wanted to get your take on uh, Jason Brooks coming in because I I don't know what happened on the on the personal foul. From my vantage point, it looked like hardly anything, and it looked like the ref trying to you know squash something before it started. So I'm not too worried about that. I saw the play before that. There was some chirping going on, and so I think that there was something else going well, on. But the play. Was the play before the one where Spencer got hit late and it was roughing the passer? Was yeah. that the play right before? I think that so, was the play. I think it was just some a little bit of pushing and a little bit of trash talking after the play. And I think you're right. The ref maybe made a call too quickly. I couldn't see it either. And then that holding, you know, he didn't even need to touch that guy. There's him grabbing that guy's jersey yeah. wasn't going to do anything. It was like the the softest grab ever, but his arms fully extended grabbing the Jersey. So you got to call it. But after that play, he didn't come back in. So he played 39% of the total snaps against CMU and only nine against ASU, but he came in earlier in the game. So I think, I think he was going to stay in for a long time. I think Mahalski and Woodard were going to switch in and out, but I think Brooks was going to stay in if, if he didn't get those penalties, the the offensive line is going to be fascinating. It's like, you feel you feel like you're really solid with the five that you've got, but then you start factoring in, okay, well, where's Joe Mahalski fit in? Where's Queso Brooks fit in? I mean, and now the potential to possibly rotate guys in there, we've we've seen it now. Don't know what that looks like later in the year. You, you don't think of an offensive line as really rotatable, but who knows? Maybe there's something going on there that's changed. We'll see, but I, I've liked what I've seen from him so far. And again, I'll throw that personal foul out the window and, and hope that that's just a one-off. Yeah, and what we were told is that Woodard is not hurt. It sounds like Dickey is making a concerted effort to kind of get these 
if the guys perform well in practice and Gundy Gundy said it as well, I think, I think that was in the, the presser from yesterday, but I think he's working to get these guys in that are performing well in practice. Even if you're a newcomer, we see Austin Kowecki on the two deep. Even if you're a transfer that's coming in like Brooks, Etienne a year ago, you're going to get some run. And so I think that's why we're seeing Maholski Brooks come in. You know, we've seen Maholski summit center as well. Whenever the Gunner Gundy led offense came out there, I'd love to see Tyrone Weber a little bit more, maybe even in this next game. I think we're going to see a lot of guys rotate in there, but can't wait. I don't, I don't know if you'll continue to see it throughout the entire season, but I think in these early games, he's working to get these guys reps just in case there's injuries. And I actually kind of like it. I mean, I like it too, especially right now in this era of transfer portal and NIL and the ability for guys to just drop out quickly. I know that's not the main driver here, but it's, it's gotta be considered that, you know, th these guys have other options and they can go next year if they're not happy right now, obviously within reason. So I, I'm again, I'm not saying that that's the case, but certainly something that I don't think two to three years ago was even a, a conversation. And now I really like to, I, I like what Dickie is doing there on the offensive line, rotating guys in. Does it anything else on the offensive line? I know we got quarterbacks and wide receivers, cowboy backs to get to. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the only thing there is I, I do love the rotation, like I just said, but I think I'd like to see Materko out, rotate out a little bit with Weber, like I said, or even Maholsky rotate to that side. I don't know if taking Woodard off the field all the time is great, but like I, I said, Materko has looked pretty good. I know Gundy gave him a B in the first game. I'd probably give him maybe a B minus C plus in this game. I thought he got beat a few times in pass pro, but he's looked good in the run game at times. So um, still a little bit worried for teams like Baylor inside and that interior aside on that, on that kind of left side. And with Wilson at center, I really love Wilson as a center. He's played really well, but just kind of the overall strength of those guys going up. Some of those bigger defensive lines has me worried a little bit for the coming weeks, but I think that's all I really had. I, I wanted to stress again. I thought Etienne was really good in this game. Yeah. Well, Against Baylor, they're going to have to use Spencer Sanders' legs, but we'll get to that here in a couple of weeks. <laughs> um, can't wait for that one, by the way. But speaking of Spencer Sanders, I mean, let, let's talk quarterbacks. I mean, I thought, uh, uh, obviously, the pick, you know, is is what most people will point to and say, well, he didn't play as good this game as he did against Central Michigan, and I think there's some there's some validity to that. Um, overall, though, I I, I really liked his decision making. He's he's quicker to make a decision is what I'm trying to say. I think last year, year before that, some of the things that bit him is he waits too long to make the play. And this year, through two games, I have seen hardly any hesitation. And I I really like that from him. Um, again, uh, I, I had a stat line right in front of me, but a, a solid game, couple touchdowns, one on the ground, two through the air. Only one turnover. I still think a, a a good game overall that you can build off of. Here, here's my only problem with how Spencer Sanders played. And you know I'm a huge Spencer Sanders guy. It goes right along with the storyline that Gundy always talks about with him. You have those first three drives, punt after six plays, 13 yards, punt after three plays, six yards, punt after six plays, 28 yards. Not really able to get anything going, having trouble getting things going with his legs on the ground, just overall as an offense. Arizona State is showing some different looks on defense. 
the 10 personnel is obviously not going to work when they have everybody drop back deep, like five guys, eight yards off the ball or more. And then he comes out the next drive and throws an interception. And then after that, I actually had him at three turnover worthy balls for the game. And they were all in that first half. I do love the fact that he was able to clean up a little bit earlier, but that's just something I still worry about overall with him. The one thing that is positive from that is when we've seen him kind of struggle like this, you know, the Baylor big 12 championship, he didn't really turn it around until like the fourth quarter Seemed kind of turning it around against OU in the second half. He turned it around in the second quarter with what 10 minutes left to go when they had that touchdown drive. So he turned it around a lot quicker. He didn't let things get out of hand, but I think he forced it a little bit early, especially obviously the interception looked like he was confused. I think they may, it looked, it looked like on the replay to me that it was zoned pretty much the entire way. I mean, that linebacker's just dropping back into that curl hook well, zone right there. But I think, you know, they were switching back from fourth from man and zone. I think I had them at like about 50, 50 split, maybe a little bit more zone, but it's that quick slant and something he saw, maybe he didn't look, he just looked right away through the slant and that's right where the linebacker was in that zone. So he obviously was confused there a little bit, but there were a couple throws on, around the sideline where I just, I thought they were a little sloppy. And well, the John Paul Richardson cleans that up. John Paul's catch over the middle, one handed, beautiful, absolutely great catch. That ball was saved. I mean, that, that was, you said three turnover balls, add that one because I mean, there was three yellow jerseys, yellow helmets, I should say right around where John Paul kind of came out of nowhere and snagged it. So um, the thing I will say on that one is he fit that into a tight window. Oh yeah. Real tight. He led him a little bit, but you know, it was a really, really, really good catch, but I, I I didn't have a huge problem with that throw. I'm just saying you don't see a lot of, you know, late slants. I mean, that that's pretty deep in that inside slant route, right? Like that play has been going for a minute inside that three-man window of that zone i'm just saying it's caused spencer issues before and it was one that when he threw it it was like oh no don't throw that but it's a good throw in the moment that's kind of the thing that i'm getting at just on my overall point i mean that that throw was in the first quarter that was during kind of all of this that i'm talking about where he's getting a little and you know some of that was pass pro was a little a little iffy at first that they were, they seemed a little bit confused. Obviously the run game wasn't going. And I think it's Spencer trying to force things. The one, like I said, the positive though, is that he corrected it a lot quicker than we've seen him in the past. But it, you know, if he starts out like that against Baylor, it could unravel pretty quickly. So I was a little disappointed early on in the game, but then I thought he was really, really good. He got up around that 60 mark, 54 yards rushing, didn't get sacked like you said, threw the ball away, made some really good throws. Braden Johnson had the three drops, and there was actually one other throw to Braden Johnson where the defender made a pretty good play, but I, I still think Johnson could have caught it, so you could have even marked him down at four. So you got that. You got, you know, I think he had at least one throw away for sure. You had the kind of the one screen that Arizona State blew up. So there's, what, six passes of his 38, or of his, what, 17 incompletions right there that you could get back. The two T's were nice. You want that completion percentage to be a little bit higher up, but overall, you know, I, on rewatch, I was, I was in 
a little bit of a bad mood at the beginning of every <laughs> watch you're watching Sanders. Well, I, I love the honesty. I mean, if you had to grade him, where would you grade him? If I'm complete, if I was to completely throw out those first five drives, then yeah. I'd probably give him like a B because I think he had a really good game, but I think maybe B minus C plus overall. I just think he's, I didn't think he played bad. I think I'm probably being too hard on him. I just think he's, he's great. He's a great player and we've seen him do great things. His stat line since what the Fiesta Bowl is still absolutely insane. Only the one interception. Yeah. I just was a little disappointed early. I think, you know, if I was to grade from that first touchdown drive on, I'd honestly probably even bump it a little higher B plus, but I think overall, I think B minus C plus in that range, just, just because I think his ceiling is, is much higher. And I'm, again, I'm probably being too hard. Well, I, I really want to see him, you know, I, I know he's good at extending plays, one thing that I noticed in this game live was, you know, a couple of opportunities where he could pull the ball down and run like vertically. He's very good at getting out of the pocket and picking up five, seven, ten yards. Typically, though, that's going towards the sideline, you know, an extra defender. I, one thing that I noticed in this game and I need to go back and and bookmark those plays when they happened. It's just a chance to go vertical when the defense isn't expecting it. We saw that against Central Michigan. Caught him off guard a little bit, the ability to get vertical. I didn't notice his uh, same aggressiveness in putting his foot in the turf and just going north-south in this game as I did in that game. However, part of that could be just the, the fact that they're dropping so many back in coverage. There's not a lot there to make a play. So I'm, I'm probably being nitpicky as well. But uh, overall, again, I, I thought one thing in that drive with the interception, I thought Oklahoma State got pretty predictable pretty early on. A lot of their plays previous were short passing underneath John Paul, Brendan Presley. And on that drive, they had sustained several plays kind of back to back to back. And they went short pass completed. Quick back to the ball, short pass picked off. It wasn't a great read by any means. He, he shouldn't have made that throw. But I thought at that moment, it was like, I thought almost all of it was on Spencer for making the throw. But I thought Oklahoma State got pretty predictable as they got really up-tempo trying to get their first score of the game. Yeah, and I, I mean, I get it, because that's what Arizona State was giving them with those two high safeties. But yeah, I think you're right on that. I mean, looking at his second second half stats, he's in a 14 for 164 yards and two touchdowns after going 11 to 24. Yeah, that's pretty no good. No touchdowns and a pick You'll in work the first that. half. So it, that second half was amazing. I, I'm definitely being too hard on him. He's been really good lately. I just, you know, he's still through for 268 yards, like you said. I think just – and, you know, he's going to have interceptions. I just didn't like how – I felt like there were, like, several passes kind of in – not in a row, but in that series of drives that were – like, whoa, like even yeah. the John Paul Richardson one that you're talking about. So I, I think overall, I think he's going to come out and play. I mean, obviously Arkansas Pine Bluff, I don't expect him to play a ton, but I think he's going to come out and really have something to prove against Baylor after the last two times they played him. And I, I'm ready for it. Yeah, I agree. That's going to be such a fun game. He's going to have a lot of film to watch too. He's got the bye week right before. I mean, I didn't like the bye week in the off season, but right now, Baylor's got a lot of questions to answer. They got to go to Ames the week before. Oklahoma State's going to get the week off and watch 
two really good games of tape against them last year. I I I am starting to like where this bye week sets up for Oklahoma State this season. And I, I think too, you know, we talked about Arizona State kind of disguising some coverages and stuff. They did some simulated pressure where they had a bunch of guys up at the line of scrimmage and dropped them all back. Obviously, we saw Oklahoma State do that too. Th- that's that's good stuff for Spencer to see and to get on film because that's something Absolutely. Miranda and Baylor is definitely gonna do. Uh one other note, the last one I had on Spencer was he took some big hits in this game. Too many. I do not like that. And and that's the problem, you know, with going 10 personnel is he's kind of your other, like with the Cowboy back not in there, he kind of takes that role. Like he's taking that extra defender on those read plays. Basically the only other option besides handing it off is for him to keep it because you don't have that extra blocker in there if they're bringing another guy up there. So that's that's tough with going 10 personnel as well. I like when they have four receivers on the field. I like going tempo like that. But it, if you can avoid Spencer taking those hits at times, I still want him to run it, but some of those hits were kind of brutal. Yeah, no doubt. And when he runs it, would love to uh, a slide every now and again. I know he does it sometimes, but maybe most of the time would be great because a lot of times he's just putting his throwing shoulder down into the play, and I don't love that. <laughs> Especially I do what, love his what happened slides. to Quinn Ewers this weekend. I mean, let's, let's yeah. protect the throwing shoulder, please. Spencer's two feet slides crack me up. <laughs> they're actually very effective, but it's like when you're playing funny. Madden and you hit the wrong button and you, it's the <laughs> wrong slide animation. That's, that's kind of what I think of. <laughs> All right. Well, Dustin, let's wrap up with the wide receivers and cowboy backs on the offensive side of the ball. You already mentioned, I think, you know, we got to talk about this. We put the social media clip out talking about Braden Johnson in the in the week last week after the Central Michigan game, the four drops, I had him at four. I know you said the defender made a good play. I have him at four. I thought that one was catchable. I was pretty disappointed. Um, it, it just in in overall execution and the ability to hang on to the ball from Braden Johnson early in the week in in this game. You know, but start there and then you know go through the rest of the wide receivers. Yeah. 13 targets and only four catches. That's 30. That's hard to do. That's not, that's not great. Uh, The drops, it just seemed like he was maybe peaking a little too early, just maybe closing his hands a little too early. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but he's got to clean that up. Especially, I think almost every single, or at least two of them were on those curl routes. That's a easy seven yards right there. Yeah. That, that's if he gets tackled instantly. I mean, Arizona State was giving that up pretty much all day. I talked about it in the Twitter thread with how off coverage they were in those high safeties. We mentioned it, you know, the quick stuff, the quick outs, the hitches, the curls, the slants, they were all there a lot of the day. I guess not as much the slants, but the, like kind of the quick stuff to the outside. And if he can't catch those, I mean, that's just not great. You really, really do not want to see that. You know, behind him at Z is Langston Anderson, Talon Shetrin. If Braden drops a few more, do these guys get some run? I don't want to make, I don't want to make too bold of an assumption because he played really, really well in the first game out of career highs. His speed and the double moves are just electric, and there's something that's needed in this offense. I think just when a defense is playing that top down not letting you get the big play, it almost takes Braden a little bit out of the game because that's his specialty. I, I absolutely agree, and I, I, I kind of think that that's where I landed. It wasn't 
I mean, the, the four drops is is really bad. I mean, especially you laid out the plays they were on. They're 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 not just bad; they're drive killers. Like especially in the moment, you know, it's either first and ten, second and long, where they're running that. It's like you just you have to make that play. And I feel like we could count on one hand the amount of times you saw like Tylen Wallace drop that ball. Tay Martin struggled at times too in that same regard um, with like drive killing drops. And when you're trying to feed that Z receiver, most of the targets you he's got to be sure handed and you hope he can clean that up, but it wasn't encouraging. And um, he may have like 12 catches this week. They may just try to like beat that out of him in this game against Arkansas pine bluff. Cause it, it wasn't great last week. Yeah, I mean, it, maybe it's even a little thing kind of like we talked about with Spencer when he struggles to get going at first. You know, Braden sees that they're kind of putting the top on the defense and not letting him get deep. Maybe he's a little discouraged, kind of playing some mind games there. You know, he took a whole year off of football last year, still kind of getting in the swing of things. Yeah, I, I think he cleans it up, and I think he comes back and has, again, I'm basically just skipping this week. I think it was a good game against Baylor. It's just if... Baylor's going to see that on film and see that, you know, if they're, if they are able to kind of keep him contained from the deep ball, it could, you know, kind of screw with his head a little bit. Yeah. Well, I, I think a lot about that Baylor game and I think Oklahoma state was missing a, in this Arizona state game, they were missing a physical downfield threat that could go make a play that wasn't necessarily there. Jaden Bray did that a lot last year. He did it against Baylor, did it against Notre Dame. I think Oklahoma State was missing that in this game yeah. where it was like, no, I know you got a safety there, but we're going to back you off. They they just didn't have that guy out there. Yeah, and Oklahoma State knew it as well because they only attempted three balls 20-plus yards down the field. Yeah. The Sanders completed one of them. So, like you said, you know, they didn't – they didn't have that. They didn't want to even attempt kind of that part of the game. And it, it's probably, it could be a, a big part of that because well, Bray's not there. Like you said, when they tried it, it just, it was awful. Like it just wasn't there. And again, I, I think looking forward to Baylor, you're going to see a lot of similar things. They're going to try to take that away. I mean, you can go back and watch the big 12 title game. The downfield plays were made by Jaden Bray and Tay Martin when the play wasn't there. And so that's that's physicality. And again, is something I'm watching going forward. You just hope Jaden Bray can come back. Um, aside from Braden Johnson, we'll we'll let him off and the he, hook. And he still had 81 yards, you know, like right, it, right. He still was able to be productive, even though he only caught four of the 13 and not all of those obviously Yeah, you're looking at though like 140 150 yard receiving game if he brings those in though yeah for sure no i i mean i agree with you i i uh i definitely want to see more from him but i i think the next spot to go to and i i hope this is where you were going is bryson green having a career day the 83 yards one touchdown caught five of his nine targets i did think it was funny on gundy's radio show he basically said the same thing that you and I talked about last week. We love Bryson Green, tries really hard in the blocking game, has solid hands. The thing he needs to work on is his route running and his ability to create separation and man coverage. It's exactly what Gundy said in his radio show. And I, I think it's something he still needs to work on and something that Bray, I think, maybe a, 
I don't know if Bray's so much better at creating the separation with the route, but with the jump ball contested yeah. catch, that's something Bryson just needs to continue to work on. And he's still a really young guy. Didn't get a lot of run last year, but I, I thought he was awesome in this game for what it's worth. And he still has some things to improve on, but I really, really like him out there. I do too. And you, I wonder what his role looks like when Jaden Bray comes back. Like the thing I'm holding on to is what does this offense look like? with Jaden Bray out there because he's just a different receiver than, than Bryson Green, his own backup, or Braden Johnson on the other side. I, I just think they're missing an element. I've, I've beat that dead horse. But, you know, Bryson Green is kind of like the Marcel Aitman to James Washington. I think you even drew that, like, that's kind of the role he's playing when we talked about Bryson Green in the offseason. That's kind of the role he's playing, and it's kind of the role he looks like like that's just just the style he's not a game breaker over the top um but i think he's just a really solid possession receiver who's going to make the play that that you need him to make and i think you can build on that for sure and it's a great call out by you kind of what this offense looks like because you know you're looking at the snap counts those four guys that we've talked about already brandon presley john paul richardson bryson green and Braden johnson played basically all of the snaps, which in the first game, you know, we saw some Langston Anderson. We saw some Rashad Owens. We even saw some Stephon Johnson late. This game, and even some Braylon Presley, which was wrong about again. I thought we were going to see a little yeah, bit more no Braylon. Kidding. And these four guys played every single snap. So that was a little bit interesting to me after seeing the Central Michigan game when people were rotating in like Owens and Anderson pretty early on in the game. So I'm not sure you know, what that exactly tells us other than the fact that they feel comfortable with these guys and maybe not as comfortable with the other guys. Maybe some of the other guys are banged up, but I just thought that was really interesting going from game to game. I, I agree in a fantastic call. Like, but you look at that first string of Braden Johnson, Bryson Green, Jaden Bray, um, Brendan Presley, John Paul Richardson. I mean, you're five deep. Oklahoma State's not going five wide very often this year. So really... Unless there are injuries, you may not see a whole lot of Rashad Owens or Braylon Presley this year. I know we got several questions on him. Um, you you may not because you're pretty loaded in that first, you know, five, and they're kind of interchangeable. And so you just may not end up seeing a lot of those. I I'm sure that won't end up being the case as as the season wears on and guys, you know, their bodies get worn down and games wear on. But right now. I I like the consolidated approach rather than spreading the care, uh, targets out between eight to nine receivers. Yeah, agree. And I even want you know John Paul to get more targets. Casey Dunn after the game is saying the reason why one of the main reasons they like to go ten personnel four wide is because taking John Paul off the field is not a good idea. He's one of the better players on the team. That Those are his words basically verbatim. Well, now he's and, got game-breaking ability, we found out. Like, yeah, two wow and, plays in two weeks. So Yeah, and th- I mean, that's what I was trying to, to say in the offseason. He's super fast. And then you've got you've got Brendan Presley, who's also a really good player. I think, that, I think they're still trying to figure out, you know, what routes Brendan can kind of – perform his best in is it the quick screens is it the quick outs but those out routes to presley that's an easy five yards pretty much anytime they're in off coverage or anytime you send them in motion and they're in man and that defender has kind of inside leverage that's just an easy five yard gain and and i'm i'm fine with that throw because spencer can make it 
pretty much every time. One thing I want to ask you about with with Brennan Presley, there's a lot of you know chatter on 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 Twitter, as Mike Gundy would say, about Brennan Presley and you know not getting enough um, manufactured touches. Um, how did you mention his? You know they're trying to feel out what routes work best for him. I mean, I, the way I see this right now. He and John Paul share a pretty identical role, and Brennan can do a little bit more. If Oklahoma State was going to manufacture touches for Brendan Presley, one, should they? And two, what does that look like to you? Like, because I don't know if I don't know if Oklahoma State's offense is best served force feeding Brendan Presley. I mean, they did it. They did it a little bit in this game. They kind of showed you a little bit with that jet power read. That fir- the first one that Spencer kept. The only reason he it kept that is because be. Preston <laughs> yeah. Wilson snapped it high. Yeah. So th- there's two rushes right there, and then he had seven targets. So the only people that had more targets than him were Bryson Green and Braden Johnson, and neither of them had rushes. So he's basically getting the same amount of kind of opportunities that you saw from a Bryson Green. And the fact that Johnson is getting more, we see him at that Z position. So I'm not really sure – I agree with these people you're seeing on Twitter that well, I also he's not, he's not getting. I think enough got touches, a but I do I do think you want to get him touches. He's a super dynamic player. The thing is, if you're throwing to him in the slot all the time and not throwing it to John Paul Richardson, I think that's a mistake as well. Like yeah. I think you want to even that up. I think they're both super dynamic players in their own right. They do a little bit things differently. I mean, and not to take the convo back to John Paul, but I did want to mention his blocking on the outside has been special. And he is not a big guy. His blocking, and Presley actually blocks really well too. They were using the receivers in that split zone blocking game as well. They both give a lot of effort in the blocking game. And I love that from those two kind of smaller guys. Yeah, I I think you nailed it on Brennan. I, I agree completely with you. The idea of, you know, only feeding Brennan out of the slot doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You know, I think we got a question about it, if I'm not mistaken. And then I got texted about it. So multiple people were talking about Brennan Presley and not getting enough touches. Um, I will be interested to see what they do. Um, I know sideline to sideline, he's really fast, but I, I don't know. I just don't know if this offense is better served with him in the slot or you know, trying to manufacture touches behind the line of scrimmage with bubble screen and that, reads like that. I, I'm excited to watch that going forward. I think they will continue to do it. I think we'll see some more things like that jet sweep in that power read play. I think we'll see more stuff like that. Maybe, maybe even kind of have him come across, have the running back go the other way and do an option with him and Spencer to one side, you know, yeah. things like that they could mix in. And I, I do think the quick screen stuff will work as well at times. You know, Spencer's pretty good at those field reads when he sees numbers out there throwing that pass. So if, if you were to give him more, I, I don't think it's a bad idea. Give him more touches and more targets. And I, I mean, I think, you know, 13 for Braden Johnson may be a lot Yeah. Uh, when you're looking at 38 total attempts. So we'll kind of see how it shakes out, but I, I, I'm not, I don't hate kind of what they're doing operating the offense right now. You know, I, I did think the play calling early on from Dunn with the 10 personnel, I liked the idea, but yeah. I think kind of moving off of that maybe a little bit quicker and going to more of that split zone, wide zone scheme instead of just kind of the straight inside zone. I thought that was a great call. I think maybe moving off of it a little bit quicker would have been nice, but overall I thought 
I thought Dunn's been pretty good through the first two games as yeah. well. Yeah, I think so too. And I didn't mean my comment earlier about getting predictable to be a you know in, indictment. When you're going fast like that, your playbook shrinks down quite a bit. And so um, I just felt like they had gone underneath several times. So anyway, last note on the offense before we get on to the defense is the Cowboy backs. You know, Dustin, I, I know this is your position. If you're watching football, you're watching the Cowboy backs. I mean, what was your take on them on Saturday? Man, Cassidy is so good in, in the split zone blocking game. And yeah, that's- I think Schultz, Schultz is surprisingly good for someone that's played linebacker, then defensive end, and was maybe going to actually get in the rotation at some point in his career at defensive end. Apparently, he looked really good there. And this coming in playing Cowboy back. I think both of those guys, these guys have done really well. They're helping the offensive line, like I talked about, when you go with those six, seven man protections. Obviously, you know, you'd love to be able to use them more in the passing game if they were a little bit more dynamic. But so far, I think they've played really well in what they've been asked to do. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely. Braden Cassidy continues to be an animal um, and split zone. I mean, I, I just feel like that's one of Oklahoma State's, like, that's their bread and butter right now when when things get wonky go to split zone and and let Braden Cassidy and and Dom Richardson just bash dudes because that's what that's what they do best um I I love it yeah I thought uh I thought the Cowboy backs played well for you know obviously you can't see them a lot and what they're doing but I think they played really well yeah I, I love it Dustin you ready to move on to the defense yeah let's do all it. right well before we do that let's take a quick break and hear a word from one of our sponsors Check out Homefield Apparel's new Oklahoma State line. I don't know if you have. I know Dustin and I both are rocking the new Homefield Apparel shirts that have just gone live on their website at homefieldapparel.com. I mean, the curse of cowboys across the chest is absolutely gorgeous. I don't know if you guys have seen the Pistol Patty t-shirt, but it is great as well. And Homefield Apparel is doing phenomenal stuff, even outside of Oklahoma State sports. If you go on their website right now, you can see potential future Big 12 members, Colorado, with a throwback t-shirt on their website. I'm just a big fan of Homefield stuff, and the quality is unbelievable. So check them out at homefieldapparel.com. And when you use our promo code FEELS12, you actually will get a discount. That's right. Feels 12. We'll get you 15% off your first order when you use our promo code feels 12 at homefieldapparel.com. Check them out right now and tell them that the feels like 45 podcast. Okay. The Cowboys had a big challenge in, in Emory Jones. I thought going into this, we talked big arm, big talent with his feet. Could he put it all together? I actually thought, that he made some throws that kind of raised my eyebrows a little bit, um, especially over the middle. I want to start with him because I think him, he was the one that kind of, he's the engine that drives that offense. I thought Oklahoma state really handled him. Well, kept him in the pocket, didn't allow him to create on his feet and then extend plays very much. I thought they had a nice scheme going in, but I just felt like Oklahoma state's defensive line just caused way too many issues for Arizona State's offensive line to really get anything going uh, with Emory Jones's feet. Yeah, Caden, that's what you and I called for Yeah, last game. We wanted this defensive line to be a little bit more disruptive, and then they come out there and have three sacks, 10 quarterback hurries. There's eight tackles for loss. Yeah. 
I just really, really liked what I saw from them. Pretty much everybody, a C, you know, I, I was calling for, I, I thought he played a good game against central Michigan, but I was calling for him to be a little bit more disruptive. He's taken up two offensive linemen and letting those linebackers and Leo's kind of work, but Evers played well. He went out with an injury, but I, I believe I, I think it noted came that back. He, he came back in because I have him playing after that, when I did the defensive line groupings and I, I thought that honestly, pretty much everybody, I think, you know, Xavier Ross, I'm still looking for a little bit more there when he, when he switches in, but to a Halamaka, a C Evers Lacey was amazing. I thought oh. Walter Scheid did good in his limited snaps. Trace Ford in the first game, he looked a little timid, like a guy who's coming off two ACLs and he came out in this game and was a madman yeah. out there. I thought Martin looked well. You know, he still does some of the things we talked about where he kind of tries to jump, jump a gap at times, and it can leave them exposed. We saw Arizona State bust some runs around the edge with him out there. Yep. But then, you know, he forces the fumble. He blows up the mesh point on a replay. Yes. yes. And he's he's causing havoc in the run game as well, taking up two guys, which he's, you know, he's a Leo. You'd think he doesn't have that strength to take away two offensive linemen and let the linebackers work, but he does. Yeah, a hundred percent. I thought Tyler Lacey played one of, if not the best game of his career so far. Um, he was all over the field. I, I think even the broadcast crew noted that he was the best player on the field. I think you could definitely make a case for that. Um, with I think he had he had a sack and two and a half tackles for loss. It's pretty nasty. Uh, and uh, yeah, go ahead. And that's from just to kind of go along with those stats are coming from he played 60% of his snaps as a defensive tackle compared to I think it was like 30% in the first game. So he's getting that production from the inside spot, which is yeah. not something you see. I think the the one sack he had, I believe he was inside. Yeah. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. He's he's also got the best celebrations. He looks like he's about to come out of his body. Like he's so excited. I love watching that guy play football. I'm going to miss him after this season. But, you know, the defensive line as a whole, I thought, did exactly what we asked for them to do. And you nailed it as we opened this segment. They were as advertised, finally. And I, I know last week's was due to the scheme. None of that is really on Oklahoma State's defensive line. Now with a little bit more time and some slower developing plays. I thought Oklahoma state's defensive line really kind of dictated the game, especially in that third and fourth quarter. hundred percent. And you know, 16 different defensive line groupings compared to 13 in the first game. Now I believe, you know, a couple of those were one play. And I think that was when guys are rotating out from injury, but they still, I thought it was going to maybe go down a little bit as the season went on. And they were pretty much right on line with last game. And what we saw, Cade, this game, I think we only saw a couple snaps of it against Central Michigan. We saw 23 snaps of that 2-4-5 defense that we saw Derek Mason run at Auburn with two defensive tackles, two Leos, two linebackers, and then the, the rest defensive backs. We thought coming in that it would be used. We didn't really see it at all against Central Michigan. And then it's used heavily in this Arizona State game. And pretty much, I mean, they performed really, really well out of it, especially when Ford was in there. And then Oliver's playing great as well. I didn't even mention his name yet. Oliver's making tackles on run plays that were absolutely ridiculous that you don't normally see from a defensive end. 
And then they go out there with that only Lacey is the only down guy. And then the Martin Ford Oliver. So there were eight third downs of third and six or longer. And they used that defensive line grouping on seven of them. <laughs> it's, it's pretty awesome. That's the third down defense, Kate. I think. Yeah. I think that's what you're getting at. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah. yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I thought the defensive line was absolutely amazing. I did. There was one quote. I actually thought I had texted this to you before because I was laughing when I read it, but Brock Martin was talking about the mesh point that he blew up on that split <laughs> zone. He says, I think they ran divide inside zone, which is split zone or something yeah. like that. I would have to look at the film. He says, this is on the fumble. And it says, I think the tight end was supposed to come over and get me. And I hate to say it, but how many times in the past have I done that? Jumped the block and wrecked the play. It has almost become natural for me. We literally were talking well, about that last podcast. I mean, what are, jumps the play. It is so it is so second nature to him. And it's almost a ridiculous ask at this point. Like you cannot run that play with, with the with the blocker going to his side because he's too fast. You're not going to get to him. And I, I honestly think that's the case for any of Oklahoma State's defensive linemen. They just are too fast to try to execute that play consistently against. And I thought what was amazing, that fumble came a play after I'm pretty sure they already fumbled, but they blew the whistle dead. So yeah. Oklahoma State in that two-play sequence, I'm pretty sure forced two, two fumbles. So, and, and Cade, what we were talking about with their disruptiveness is they really didn't bring a lot of five-plus-man pressures again. I think PFF has it at like nine. I want to say I only counted like eight on well, dropbacks. They don't have to, which is amazing. And, yeah. That's that's what we were talking about. If they can get this rush with four, you saw them use some stunts, which is what, kind of when two of the defensive linemen will twist and one will, they'll start off yeah. looking like they're going to crash a gap and then they'll go around each other. It causes a lot of confusion for offensive line and pass pro. And then what they did, Derek Mason talked about it after the game. He mentioned the term crush rush, which crush. I think the only other time I've heard that is with Bill Belichick. But basically what that is, I've seen Belichick explain is where the defenders will bull rush their their blockers, their offensive linemen, just directly back into the quarterback and crush the pocket. And that works really well against the mobile quarterback because it collapses everything on him and it'll kind of eliminate the scramble. So I love that. And I love that Mason used that term when he was talking to the media because I thought that I thought that was yeah, pretty cool. I've, but I've never heard crush rush. That's pretty good. It it was it was just great to watch. And I, you know, I don't know. You know, some teams are going to exploit that super hard crash onto the mesh point that we saw. We talked about with Ford and Martin just blowing those plays up when they get a little bit more savvy quarterback in there. But it worked really well against Jones. That's obviously something they saw on film that he's a little bit slow on those read plays. And it worked really well. I was actually surprised you mentioned it, how little they kind of tried to run him. Yeah, I, I thought they would try to manufacture some opportunities to get him moving. You know, you, you said a note about when there's savvier quarterbacks on the run, I was trying to think through this. I don't know how many there are in the big 12 this year. Like everybody is kind of moved. I think Adrian Martinez absolutely on that list. And I think is probably one of the more dangerous quarterbacks in this conference right now, which is crazy, but outside of him and a Dylan Gabriel, I, I think Emory Jones, we're going to look back and he's going to have been one of the more, dynamic quarterbacks that Oklahoma State faces this entire season and I thought that they did a very good job of containing him and I don't know if again if that's partially game plan and then execution I just really was impressed with what I saw no I think you're correct I mean they held him to 50 percent completion percentage through the air 
And then on the ground game, kind of just talk, bringing the linebackers into the mix yeah. now too, if that's yep. okay with you. You know, Xavier Valade is a really good running back. We talked about him transfer from Wyoming. You and I really, really wanted him on this Oklahoma State team. He had a 42-yard run and a 38-yard run. That's 80 yards of his 118 on two carries. So that means the other 19 carries, he had 38 yards. That's two yards per carry. Dustin, I think that's I pretty do, good. And I, I could do that. I know you now. can't. <laughs> I know you can't take those runs out of the mix. You know, I know I'm doing a little ifs and buts right now, but that's 19 carries where he only averaged two yards per carry. I, I don't think you can say that the rushing attack was bad. And overall, if you add in, you know, I'm not taking out the kneel down or the negative 17 from Jones right now, but three and a half yards per carry for Arizona State as a whole, that's well below Gundy's marker of four and a half, a full yard. And I know you can do that math as well. But that that's just overall, I, I thought the rush defense was pretty good. Well, I thought so too, because I did the exact same math. I wrote it on my piece of paper. I was like, <laughs> I need to talk about this with you because I, st- I thought the exact same thing. When I looked down, I was like, he had 118 yards rushing, but then I went back and watched it. I was like, oh, it was those two runs. And other than that, I thought Oklahoma State well, did was the first play, right? Like well, the first play of the game? Yeah, first play of the game. And if you go back and watch that, it looks like Oklahoma State's like misaligned. And I think Arizona State, that was a gotcha play. I think they had saw that in film and and they were ready to run that play. Lacey got pushed directly back into Cobb who got smashed, they smashed into each other. I think that was, and then Shawn Michael Flanagan caught the block from the tight end. Yeah. So that hole was humongous right there because no one was in it. It was so not good. you're 100% right. I, don't, I think it was a little bit of trickery and then just kind of everything working out poorly for Oklahoma State with Lacey kind of bumping in to Cobb, which wasn't really anybody's fault there. That was just, it, it wasn't like he got pushed back super far. It was just more of like a, Wrong place, wrong time thing. So you're 100 percent correct on well, that. Well, and he he has some like LaShawn McCoy to him. Like he's not as elusive, but I mean downhill speed. I th- I thought he was going to score on that first run. Um, I I really like Xavier Jazavian. Is that it? Jazavian Valade X Valade is what they're calling him. I love that. Yeah, I think it. I think it's Xavian. Yeah, is how you okay. say it. Zazavian, Zazavian, or something like that. But yeah, that's why he goes by X. So. But, Come for the analysis. Then, wait for us to break down his name. And then uh, Ngata, you know, who was a guy that Oklahoma State recruited, four-star guy. He did uh, four point four yards for carry. He really only had seven attempts, and he kind of came in as the change of pace. And I think some of those runs caught Oklahoma State well, a little I'll, bit off guard. I'll say this: I think outside zone on a, on its hole against this defense is a bad idea. Like generally speaking, like you may break one or two. I think this defense is so physical up front and so fast in the linebacker spot. I just think it's a bad idea. Like I'll be interested to see what a Baylor can do trying to establish that play being a core tenant of theirs. I, Oklahoma State strings that play out so well. It's like, man, I I just don't know how often I'd try to go back to that. Yeah, Benson, the thing that he is good at is getting to the outside. I mean, he's so fast, like you mentioned. And then I thought Cobb, you know – that. There was one play where Cobb and Daniels 
ran to the same guy in Oklahoma State actually got a sack on that play. So somebody was wrong there because there was a guy running wide open to the other yeah. side. Jones just didn't have time to get it off. So there's still, and I'm not saying that was on Cobb, but there's still some kind of mental things Cobb can clean up. But I thought he had another amazing game. I believe he led the team in tackles again. And then did you notice Benson and Cobb played every single snap at linebacker? The only other linebacker that played was Bishop, and he came in in those three linebacker sets that I mentioned last week that I know we didn't see a lot with the Knowles defense, and it's something that Mason is adding in and kind of putting – he's putting Bishop outside of the of Lacey's spot, that field side defensive end, as like a field side extra Leo over there, basically. So it, it's interesting, but I, I thought it was I thought it was kind of crazy that they played every single snap at those two main linebacker spots. Yeah, I I did notice it. One other thing that I was keeping an eye on was the middle of the defense in the passing game. I went back and watched live it felt a lot better than last week. It wasn't great still. A lot of backpedaling from Xavier Benson, which you'd love to clean up, essentially getting sucked into the play action and having to recover really quickly. And, and you know, Emory Jones threw it over his head a couple of times. But I, I think it was an improvement even in, in coverage from the linebackers from week one to week two. They're still getting picked on, but I didn't think it was nearly the, the, the sieve that it was a, even a week ago I thought they were generally closer to being in the right spot yeah I agree I, I think they've cleaned up they cleaned up a lot from that Central Michigan game and like you said there's still stuff to clean up I think Benson still struggles a little bit inside which you know you noted with like the outside wide zone he does a little bit better or any kind yeah. of sweep to the outside he still gets a little bit washed up and he's a little slow to react but I think I think he may be the best option in that weak side linebacker spot. I just think he's going to have to continue to improving. And as long as the defensive line can do what I said, take up multiple linemen, not let them get to the second level, which I thought a C Evers and Tua Halamaka and then Lacey when he was inside did a fantastic job of in this game that allows Vincent to react late, you know, not purposely, but he's reacting a little later and it's okay when that happens because then he's fast enough to get to where he needs to be when there's not a huge offensive lineman running at him, completely taking him out of the play. I, I think you're spot on. I, I noticed it in the stadium and noticed it in the rewatch. Inside zone, he gets a little bit shallow and gets swallowed up by that you know line, line getting to the second level. But when they go outside zone, and this has been kind of something we saw Oklahoma State do extremely well last year, they just string those plays out. They, you just don't get north and south on this defense with that play very often. I know they did on the first one, but you know they they didn't hit on that again. I didn't feel like so. Yeah, and I, yeah, like I thought that I thought they were much improved. I think Vince still has a lot to work on. I do like when Bishop comes out there in those three linebacker spots. It takes Thomas Harper off the field, who you know is is a great player as well, but. I've liked what I've seen from Bishop in too. that role. I don't, a, I don't know how much I like him in one of the, you know, as the backup to Benson or Cobb yet in those spots, like he was rotating in at Central Michigan. But that role, I like it. Yeah, he's just a different type of player. I, I think he's a little bit slower, but he's he's extremely physical and is great at the point of attack. So I love what I've seen there. But um, yeah, I mean, I, do you, do you agree with me in coverage though? I don't know if you noticed this. I mean. Yeah, they're still getting thrown over, and I think that's going to happen, and it's going to continue to happen. But I, I feel like 
there was improvement that, you know, if you go back and watch that Central Michigan game, there was a play in particular where Benson was pretty much flat-footed as a receiver is running in front of him, and that's that's his zone. Like, that's your guy running right in front of you. I didn't feel like that happened much this game. I thought that they were better in coverage, which is really the thing I was, like, really concerned about with this defense going into this game. Yeah, I thought I thought they cleaned up a lot. But okay. Like you said, there's still some confusion. I honestly think a lot of the motion stuff is still kind of confusing them or the tight end kind of moving from one side of the formation to the other and the strength of the formation kind of shifting and then a pass play coming, I think is still kind of confusing them a little bit. But I did think it was – I think you're 100% correct. I think it was a lot cleaned up from okay. the Central Michigan game, and I think it'll continue to improve. And since we're talking about pass coverage, I think we can go ahead and move into the secondary. What were your overall thoughts? Well, I missed Kendall Daniels. I'll say that. Um, I thought that they were good. I mean, I, I, I think the middle of the defense being a problem last week carried over into this week. But overall, player by player, I thought Corey Black was good, made a couple of plays. I thought Jabbar Muhammad was very good. Um, it's really the middle of the defense, and I don't know how much of that is. It's a combination of the secondary and going zone, and it's a combination of inside uh, – linebackers in coverage, I thought that secondary was good. I mean, and I, I love Jason Taylor coming up to stop the run, and I thought Sean Michael Flanagan was was really good for most of the day. I just missed Kendall Daniels. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I, I know you know I missed him. He's he's one of my favorite guys. But, hey, the thing is, we talked about it last week. Sean Michael Flanagan is really good. <laughs> and it's 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 almost like, you know, just kind of a wealth of riches having both of those guys playing the same spot. You know, Daniels, like I talked about the Cobb and Daniels play where they were both going after the same guy, but he made a nice play in coverage on one. He's still super aggressive getting to the ball. Mason likes to blitz and bring Sean Michael Flanagan up near the line of scrimmage and have him help out in the run game. And he is very aggressive. He made a couple nice tackles. He made a nice play in coverage as well. Love having those two guys there. I, I think the reason why they're giving Shawn Michael Flanagan a little bit of the nod is because he's what been in the program for four or five yeah, years. Yeah, junior, I think. And I think he's just a little bit more mentally there than a young guy like Daniels, even though neither of them has a ton of defensive playing experience in the college level. So I think that's why they're doing that. But I, I think you continue to see them rotate out. And what was it? So Daniels played 54% of the snaps against Central Michigan, and it went down to 48 in this game. So – not as not as many like you like you noted, but we still got to see him out there a little bit. I thought uh, I thought Corey Black. I don't know if he was just playing that well, but they didn't throw at him very much. At no, all. they did <laughs> not. And when they did, I think he had a really nice pass breakup. Yeah, yeah. I I, I thought he looked good. The mark of a good corner is you don't hear their name called a whole lot, right? <laughs> well, it's crazy. They were throwing at Jabbar a lot with uh, they were going to Badger, who we talked about on the preview show. I believe he was number number two, but they were throwing at him a lot. And he actually caught a couple on Jabbar. And I know Jabbar looked a little out of position in one of the zone coverages, but then he went out with the injury and came back in. And so after, when he came back in, you know, he looked maybe a little slow at times, but I'm just going to chalk that up to injury. I thought before, before he went out with the injury, I thought he looked solid. Like you said, 
outside of maybe one or two plays that Badger got on him. I think he can play all around better than that. I think he is a better corner than that, but I didn't think he played bad. And I thought Black was really good. Like you said, we already talked about the two bandit safeties. Jason Taylor was very active in the run game. I think Mason made that a point with how Arizona State was scheming things for him to kind of come down and really run fit. And I thought he did really well. I loved what I saw from Taylor. Yeah, I noticed that too. And, uh, you know, I, I think continues to be the leader of that secondary back half of that defense. And um, he it starts with the run game for him. I think what he lacks in some of the coverage skills, which isn't a whole lot, he's really good in coverage. He's just – he's somehow better at in the run game. I mean, he's he's just – for a guy of his size, he is a hard hitter. He's just pretty impressive. Yeah, and, man – Thomas Harper, he's there in coverage. He just has to get a little less physical. And I hate saying that because I love how physical he is. He's just not good enough at not getting caught, but he's right there. And then he just gets, like, doesn't turn his head around, gets a hand underneath. If he can clean that up, I think he's going, I think he has the potential to be really, really good at that slot corner nickel spot, which we call the strike. But I, Man, he's got to quit doing that. Yeah, no, 100%. I will say, through two games, he's been in the right spot almost every snap. I I have been impressed with that. One of his issues was busting coverage. I've loved the progression I've seen from Thomas Harper and feel a lot better about him even after two games than I did going into the year. Yeah, what I want him to do is maybe get a little less physical on the actual route and maybe get a little more physical when he's pressing the slot. <laughs> if he could just switch that out just a little bit, cause he, he does get physical when he's pressing, but sometimes he'll miss, but he's always super physical in coverage. And I love it. Cause no one's ever making a catch. It just, you can't take those 15 yarders, but you're right. He's been there. I thought Joel Wilson, Wilson, the tight end for central Michigan got him a couple times on those out routes. But I thought I thought he looked pretty good in this game. I I didn't I didn't see any like major flaws from Harper. I think yeah. just overall, you know, the defense probably about a 50-50 split in man and zone coverage. I think they're still just not getting to their right spots in zone. And I'm interested to see as the season progresses if they go more man. You know, man is a little bit easier for the corners and like the nickelback to play. Sometimes it can cause some confusion, as we've noted with the linebackers and safeties, but it makes it a little bit easier on those guys. But are the, those are the guys that are have pretty good experience. So I'm not really sure what they're going to do in kind of the split there. You know, we saw Knowles go a lot of zone last year. I, I mean, what do you think? Is there, do you think they should start going heavy man or is it good to get them reps in zone against some of these, you know, maybe lesser opponents? I think it is good for now because I, I don't know. I mean, do you trust right now those three essentially talking Corey Black, uh, Jabbar Muhammad, and Thomas Harper in man coverage? I I think you could mix it in. I think against like a Blake Shapin, I think you saw how much he picked apart Oklahoma State's zone last year. Might not be a bad idea to mix a man in, um, but against these lower level teams, I think it's really good to get reps any which way. Um, ultimately though, I'd love to see them go, go man. And they, they actually talked about that on the broadcast to give them a little bit of credit. They talked about, well, with, with such an active defensive line, why did she go more 
more man. It's a good question, but I think it's exactly as you said. I think it's because they're trying to get reps together as a unit in zone when they need to go to it. Um, but ultimately, I think against you know some of the better wide receiver groups of the conference against a Texas, and I th- I think you'd like to see them be able to go a little bit more man and and pressure the quarterback. Yeah, I agree. I think you laid that out perfectly. And I think, too, we are going to see some games where they mix in a lot more press with both corners. You know, we've seen press to the boundary. We've seen both press a few times, and we've seen Thomas press on the slot. But I think you see some full, all three of them in press. And maybe press Virginia. (laughs) Maybe have some of the safeties play a little bit farther down just to kind of throw some wrinkles out there on these guys. But, you know, Mason's kind of bread and butter is that even when he's in man is that off man coverage. So, you know, it's not a surprise that we've seen it a little bit more. I did want to get Kate. I did have a couple more notes on the defense. I wanted to get your take on. Yeah. So Adam Lunt, our buddy called out that 24 players saw at least nine snaps against central Michigan against ASU. Only 20 players saw the field on defense and only 18. That's six less had nine plus snaps, including the guys that didn't play were Cam Smith, Dylan McKinney, Cam Epps, Nathan Latou, Nick Martin, and Ray Gay. None of those guys saw the field. And what just overall on that less snaps, do you think do you think we continue to see that go down? Do you think some of these guys get back in the mix? What do you think there? Well, I I don't think it's any coincidence that the defense played a little better this week as as guys get more comfortable with each other. That's my opinion. I I would I would expect that to continue trending down and you know, flatline somewhere, you know, maybe just a little bit below where they're at now. I think they're still going to want to rotate, right? I think that's that's that was a staple of Jim Knowles' defense was to be able to rotate guys in and out, you know, every snap if they need to. I think you'll still see that. Um, but, yeah, I I would think a lot of that dwindles as the season goes on. Yeah, I think the only the only two that I really – think maybe need to get in the mix but i you know like you said the defense played played well in this game are latu and then colin clay i think you know xavier ross got nine snaps colin clay got one and i think it may have been on the kneel down because i didn't have him in my defensive line groupings unless i missed him i think maybe you know some of those if not all of ross's slaps snaps maybe need to go over to clay Gundy said as much when when asked about it. They need to get Clay out there. He said it's nobody's fault. But I thought he played really well against Central Michigan. Yeah, yeah, I thought so too. It, it's it's something interesting to keep an eye on is is who are the guys we actually got a question about this. Who are the guys that you may not have already seen yet that you want to see more of, and then vice versa. Who are the guys that are playing now that you may start to see their snaps dwindle? I don't know the answer to it, but I'm excited to see how it plays out. Yeah, agreed. And Kate, I think that's I think that's all I got. We did that a lot faster than last time. <laughs> I don't know if we did, but I still had a blast doing it. You know, it's it's funny. This week is Arkansas Pine Bluff week, and um, you know, Dustin has been kind enough to prepare some notes for us. I, I watched as much as I could possibly stomach uh, of Arkansas Pine Bluff, but you know, moving on, you know, right into them, if you'd like, Dustin. Um, this this is a tune-up game. This is the game that you want to get. I think you had to treat the first two as get as much on film as possible because you're not going to get a ton out of this. You're going right into the bye week, and then you've got maybe your biggest game of the year 
against Baylor right after that. And so I think this is a, a, a get healthy game if you need it. I think it's a get Spencer in and out and get some young guys some snaps. And, you know, for me, the thing I want to see is continued improvement on the offensive line. I want to see a dominant rushing effort in this game. Um, and I, I'd love to see, you know, the linebackers continue to, to make, you know, an impact in this game. But what did you see out of Pine Bluff? And, you know, kind of what are you looking for in this game? Yeah, so shout out to the Arkansas Pine Bluff All Access Network. Who no had free these ads, games, but shout out. Who had these games on demand for me. They've got uh, their announcers. I thought they were great. One of them is their baseball coach. So they played Lane College, who is Division Two, and they're in the same conference as Savannah State, who Oklahoma State beat 84-0 to in 2012. And then they played NAIA North American College, who just started their football program three years ago. So they played some pretty weak opponents. They almost lost to Lane College, who is, you know, Arkansas Pine Bluffs FCS, so Lane College is below them in Division Two. I think that I think it was like 48, 45 or something like that. And it was a wild game. And then they beat <laughs> they beat uh North American like 76 to three. So I didn't watch that entire game. They actually didn't even start. So I don't know if this was because these guys were hurt or if it was because they were playing an NAIA school. Well, but two of their better players didn't even start because they have their PFF snap counts. And and like I said, I watched like a uh, quarter and a half of that game. Well, isn't North American University like the the strip mall college with like it's mostly culinary programs and trades? I didn't even know they. <laughs> I didn't know they could field a football the roster. Stallions. Yeah. Um. So, Cade. So a little bit on Arkansas Pine Bluff, just general. It you know, FCS did that spring season. So spring twenty twenty one, they went four and one and made the SWAC championship. SWAC has Southern, Grambling, Alcorn State. You know, some of those teams. The season before, they were six and five. And it was like their first back-to-back winning seasons in a long time. Then they go two and nine last fall. And one of their only wins was Tulane College, who they beat this year. Then they beat Grambling. They got Doc Gamble as their head coach. He's He's been around the block a few times. He's, it's his third season there. I think he's a good coach. Their offensive coordinator, I can't think of his name off the top of my head. He spent a lot of time at Michigan State with wide receivers. Their defensive coordinator, I think is has a lot of coaching experience as well, but they were just not good. I, I Their best player was probably their punter last season. I'm not even joking. He actually was pretty good. So on offense, it's a lot of spread you out. They'll go 10 P 11 P Skylar Perry has been their quarterback for like three or four years. He'll throw touchdowns. He'll throw interceptions. He can run it. Their best Two players, I think, on offense would be Kayvon Britton, their running back, who's been really good this season, wasn't great last year, but again, the opponents they're playing aren't good. And then Mark Evans, their their left tackle. But like I said, he didn't play against North Americans. So I don't know if he's hurt. Then guys didn't say anything about it on the broadcast. But overall, they struggled in pass pro. They ran the ball really well. They have a couple receivers, Prince in the slot. Their return guy is a receiver, Lloyd. He returned a kick in the Lane College game. But other than that, there's not much on this offense outside of Kayvon Britton and Skylar Perry. It's just this feels like a get stay healthy game to me. Like if if they struggle so badly in pass pro, just 
get a couple of series with with some of your key guys and then let let some of the reserves in and almost win this game with your with your second and third string is is how I feel about this game. Um love the way you broke that down. I love Skylar Perry's going to throw touchdowns, he's going to throw interceptions, he's going to run the ball. He had a um, pick and a fumble against Lane. So. Yeah. Which that sounds like a bitter rivalry. I mean, we we <laughs> ought to go to that game. That's can't be that far from us. I don't even know where Lane is. I actually looked it up earlier. Well, and when they play North American College, that could be literally anywhere. I have no clue where (laughs) North American College is. That literally could be anywhere. So (laughs) we just got to go next to our houses, right down the street from us. Could be, could be, could be in freaking Canada. Who knows? So, yeah, all that to say on the offense, Skylar Perry, it is interesting. He's left handed and he does run it a lot, but guys to keep an eye on, Perry. Like I said, Evans on the line, Prince in the slot, and then Lloyd is kind of their big play receiver who also returned the kick for a touchdown. On defense, it's a 4-3. Even against North American, who was spreading them out, they kept the third linebacker on there. Against Lane, they brought their nickel in, but they didn't respect an AI team <laughs> at all. But their defensive coordinator, Jonathan Bradley, they gave up almost 40 points a game last year and were the second-worst defense in the SWAC. It's going to be a forehand in the ground look. Their pass defense was terrible against Lane College. So I, I don't expect it to be much better against Oklahoma State. Nathan Seward, their corner, is probably the best player in the secondary. At linebacker, Monroe Beard is a guy to watch, but he didn't play against North American. Don't know if he's hurt or if it's the same with Evans, that he they just didn't want him to. Um, and then on the defensive line, Ethan Smith is probably their main guy that can maybe get after the quarterback. They give up a lot of big plays. I, I just don't, I don't know how they stop even a Garrett Rangel led offense. And kid, I, I don't know if we want to move this quickly into predictions, but I, I, I think mean, so. I, I mean, I'm going to go 59 to 10. Yeah, unless people are clamoring for an in-depth breakdown of Arkansas Pine Bluff, I mean, I that feel was like too I much. Feel, what I, I feel like you just got all you needed right there from Dustin. And again, thank you for your service on that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, the way you describe them, some of the stuff I saw, which was very little, I'll go seventy. I'll go seventy to thirteen. and I say seventy because I think when Gunner's in. And when Garrett's in, I don't know if they like pull back completely. And I think they can just run the ball at will. Like this could be a 150 yard day for Jaden Nixon with a couple of long touchdown runs against a defense like that. So, um, I mean, I think they're, you said they're in the same conference as Grambling, Alcorn State, all so those others. Yeah. Yeah. Th- this is the one swag. that I, I feel like you got to put up in the, at least low mid fifties to, you know, up, up into the seventies, I would, I would expect to see a lot of points. And then, you know, I know there was a lot of upsets last week. I, I just think, I don't think this FCS team in Arkansas Pine Bluff, the golden lions are very good coming off a two and nine season where they lost a lot of receivers, but they got the quarterback. One of the, one of their main running backs is back. A lot of guys on the offensive line, a lot of guys on defense back. I just don't I don't know how a two and nine team can kind of turn it around that quickly. I've seen I haven't seen a line everywhere, but the lines I've seen have the spread around like 55, 56, 57. Gundy has beaten FCS teams pretty badly in the past. 
Uh, Arkansas Pine Bluff has gotten beaten by FBS teams pretty badly in the recent <laughs> past. They lost to Arkansas 45 to three last year. It was 45 to zero at halftime. And then Arkansas put like their walk-ons in and didn't score again. And Pine Bluff kicked a field goal in the fourth quarter to make it three, 45 to three. So <laughs> I just, I don't know how, I'm not trying to downplay it. I just don't think there's any possible way they give Oklahoma State a run. Now, if they score a touchdown early and everybody freaks out, I, I get it. But I, I think Oklahoma State's going to wear them down. If, I'm going to be more upset if they have to keep, like you said, starters in past the second quarter. Yeah, that's that's the thing for me is like I, this is a stay healthy, get to the bye week kind of game and watch some film. I, it would be it would be kind of shocking if it's not you know, 35 to three, 35 to six in the second quarter. And you see Gunnar Gundy run out there. Like Ollie Gordon should get 10 to 15 snaps this game, right? Like this. And then you go down to Jaden Nixon and Zach Middleton. Again, you need your two deep to stay really healthy through a game like this. So. Yeah. Agreed. Well, kid, that's all I have. And it was probably too much. I apologize to the listeners. Don't apologize. That was fun. Uh, I, I really would love to go to a Arkansas Pine Bluff Lane College. I mean, again, bitter rivalries is what makes college football great. And that would be a great one. Dustin, we've got uh, a couple of listener questions to get to on Anchor, uh, our platform where you can send us a, a voice question. But before we do that, I do want to take a break and thank a sponsor of the Feels Like 45 podcast, Price Buckley with Edward Jones. Price is the fourth generation in his family to graduate from Oklahoma State University, and he loves working with fellow alumni. Price uses a personalized approach to build a custom investment strategy tailored to your unique goals and circumstances so that you can turn your ideal future into a reality. You can reach Price at 469-757-0290 or on his website at edwardjones.com forward slash Price hyphen Buckley, spelled B-U-C-K-L-E. Why? All right, let's get right into it. Uh, we've got one from friend of the pod, and I think like guest of the year, like belt holder in Ryan Winkle. So let's throw this one so out after there. After seeing how little they've used Braylon in the first two games, is it safe to predict that he's going to redshirt the season, or do you still think he has a chance to to get into the rotation there at receiver? And also. Uh, in this game Saturday, assuming that uh, it goes the way that it should, uh, who is one backup that you guys are looking forward to seeing get a lot of playing time in the second half? Brian, thanks for the question. That was great. Dustin, I don't know if you have an opinion on that. I, I do think Braylon is a, is a four-game and redshirt type of candidate this year, especially how much we've seen Jade Nixon, John Paul, Brennan, uh, Dom, in the special teams rotation, I do think Braylon could be one of those guys. But who knows? Maybe they're just keeping him under wraps. Yeah, it's a great call-out by Ryan and by you just now. I, I guess I'm just a little confused just from what I had heard and then what Dunn said when he was asked blatantly about Braylon redshirting. He said he doesn't think that's going to be possible. But what, from what we've seen in these first two games, maybe it is. I, I do think he plays – against Arkansas Pine Bluff, but you're right. Oh, it's, gosh, it's, looking, <laughs> it's looking more that way. So I, I think, honestly, he may be my answer for the, the backup that gets in. I think 
Braylon Presley is somebody I want to watch. I'd like to see, you know, CJ Brown gets out there, another guy on offense, Stephon Johnson, Talon Shetron, if he's completely healed Man. up, I think he would be a great guy to watch. On defense, they can get like Deshaun Brown out there. That would be nice. I'd love Kaweki on the offensive line. Yeah, too, I'm cool, surprised so. you didn't say him immediately. But yeah, yeah, Kaweki would be one. Um, but I think you nailed it. I think it starts with Braylon. You asked the question about Braylon. My answer is Braylon. I mean, he, he may take a tunnel screen 80 yards to the house in a game like this. And so I'd love to see it. You're right. Casey Dunn has said that he it, it will be hard to redshirt him. But based on what we've seen, I'm just going off of what I've seen. I would think at this point it's in play. Okay. Yeah. No, I think you're right. All right. Ryan, thanks for the question. Here's one from another friend of the podcast, Mr. Alex Fuller. Hello there. Feels like 45 podcast sports fans. This is your 2 and old man with a $5 million plan. That's right. We've upped it from $1 million to $5 because we can't be stopped and we won't be beat. But we're on to game three, OSU game three. Boy, howdy. This is gross. It's disgusting. It's filthy. Thank goodness you have me because... I'm the one who's going to be swimming through the sewer, picking through the trash like a degenerate to find you this winter. That's why I'm calling it my degenerate gin and tonic. Hold on to your butt tonic special. The line right now is OSU minus 57.5. We're going to ignore that. We're going to wait till about Friday is till the total comes out. We're going under, under, under. Hopefully it's 68, maybe even 69, 70, whatever it is. Take the game total under. Thank me later. Goodbye. <laughs> I love the energy from Fuller in those, and I hope he continues to do them. I, I yeah. believe he will. I mean, he last week must have been last week must have been good for him. If we're going one million to five million in a week, <laughs> did he did win that one right? Because it was uh yeah. 11, 11 and a half. Yeah, yeah. Well. So. That's good he texted odds. me and said to make sure that the listeners understand that he wants the under, no matter what it is, but he thinks it'll be in the 60s. Well, I appreciate the clarification, Dustin, because based on the audio, I think he wants the under. <laughs> he also said he has an in with the Boone Pickens uh, stadium clock operator, so they'll keep the clock running like Savannah State. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, these these like 55-point spreads are – I'm not touching them, not doing it, so good call on that fuller. Uh, I had a good weekend myself. I said, I don't bet Oklahoma state games, but I did. And uh, I, I won. So very, very good call there. I think fuller had it last week. So appreciate that. All right, Dustin, I think we should have a couple of Twitter questions. Yeah, we got a few. My apologies. I sent the tweet out a little late this week. Uh, Matt Claxton at road crew one. Thanks, Matt, as always small sample size, but is Xavier Benson's play worrying anybody felt like a lot of missed assignments were him. I think we talked a little bit about this. I think I'm less worried this week. Um, I think the problems are correctable. I think all of this is very coachable and it'll come with reps. So I'm less concerned this week than I was last week, but I still, I still want to see more. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, I do think Matt, you make a good point because the defensive line this week played really well. We're really disruptive, taking up the offensive line and not letting them get to the second level a lot of the game. And I think that allowed Benson to do what he's better at. Now, if, if there's a game where the defensive line is unable to do that, or a team kind of schemes it to where they can get a guy up there, 
you got to see him get more physical and just able to read and react better so he doesn't have to take on those blocks. So I do I do think you're right uh both of you guys in your in your analysis there. I think there's some things to improve on and I think that he did play better in this game. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree. I agree with myself and I agree with you. <laughs> Next, we got Corbett Klein at Corbett Klein. Thanks, Corbett, as always. He says, player, you, players you're expecting to redshirt but would like to get a look at in this game. Any word on Trey Rucker? He played in all 14 games last year but haven't seen him this year in the mm. rotation at safety. So we answered the first part of the question uh, for Ryan, so we won't hit that again. But I had heard, in KD, I know you and I talked about podcast that there may have been some eligibility issues with Rucker going on. I never yeah. got that confirmed. I know that at extreme camp, he was not practicing and then we haven't seen him, but I think it may just be more of that. He can't crack this too deep with some of these young guys like John Michael Flanagan, Kendall Daniels, obviously Jason Taylor's in the mix, Thomas Harper. And then I think the fact that bringing Bishop on and taking one of the safeties off maybe has hurt the safety rotation a little bit as well. I don't know exactly what's going on there. I can definitely try to see if I can find out, but I know at first I'd heard there was eligibility stuff, but I think that's been cleared. I'm not a hundred percent. I think he just isn't cracking the two deep right now. Yeah. Well, I, I don't have anything to, you know, counter that. So I, you know, I, I like what Oklahoma state has now. Um, not saying Trey Rucker couldn't do it, but I don't know what's going on there. Um, but if, if he's capable of cracking the two deep, I hope he does it. And if not, I think Oklahoma State's in good shape. Agree. And I do love Trey from when he was playing last year. That dude hits uh, hard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Next, we have John Jester at Jest on a Quest. He says, how vanilla would you say the offense and defense has been thus far? Thinking about the Baylor game and schematically, how many cards are each to steam team still holding close to the vest for that one? Cade, I think just to answer the Baylor part, I think Baylor had to show a lot. Oh, yeah. Not you because they're Everything. very good. I do think they still maybe have, you know, they're still going to have some stuff and some things they have schemed up for Oklahoma State, who, you know, plays a little bit different game than BYU does and has different personnel. But I think they had to show a lot. And I think that's some great film for Oklahoma State to have with that tough non conference game. For Oklahoma State, we talked about it a little bit. You know, I think there's still some things they could do with a Brennan Presley, maybe even a Braylon Presley, just overall on offense. It's been really zone heavy. Like we saw last year, a lot of quick passing routes, a lot of fades to the sideline. I think, you know, we've seen a couple cool things like the jet power read. We saw the slot fade to Brennan Presley that didn't convert, but I think they have a lot on defense. I think it'll be more disguising a few things here and there, but I don't know how, crazy they're going to get as much as you saw from like a Jim Knowles defense last year, just with some of the inexperienced guys. But either way, I still think they have a lot of stuff in their back pocket. I agree completely. And I agree that Baylor showed a lot. I agree that Oklahoma state has not shown a ton. I mean, really like you're, you're kind of crafting your team to, to not beat the Arizona states of the world, but to beat the Oklahomas and Baylors. And I think as you're preparing in the offseason, you're thinking, okay, how does this get us from point A to point B? Point A being, you know, Fiesta Bowl and point B being Big 12 title champions against one of those teams more than likely. And so I I do think it's been vanilla. I Again, I think if Oklahoma State's going to beat a Baylor, 
Spencer Sanders' legs are going to have to be more of a factor than they have been against Baylor in the last couple of outings. They ask him to stand in the pocket and pick that defense apart. You're going to get what you've seen, um, but you've got two games of film against him. And I know we're not previewing Baylor, but I can't freaking wait for that because I've got a lot of opinions on it. So agree that Baylor showed a lot. Um, I also think they just in general have some questions. So since we're talking about Baylor, I think that they've got more questions this year than I think maybe even we talked about earlier in the offseason. But we'll talk about that here in a couple of weeks. Yeah, no, I think that's a great call out. Uh, Brian Metcalf at Brian J. Metcalf is next. Uh, thanks, Brian, as always. He says our third down defensive efficiency through two games has been incredible. However, our third down offensive efficiency has been sub R. How does Dunn get his percentage up? I do think, Cade, one thing that's playing into that a little bit from the Central Michigan game is when they were trying to go slow, yeah. they had several three and outs. <laughs> yeah, I think. 100%. I think, that, I think that hurt just because it's a like a run-run, try to get a first down pass. I think it's just scheming different things up, but it kind of goes back to maybe not showing too much, maybe taking what the defense gives you, maybe being able to, you know, like Braden Johnson dropping a couple of these passes that can get you closer to the sticks on second down and things like that. So I think it's just overall, I don't know exactly what schematically you would do, but just being more efficient, converting, catching passes, just and kind of at, from Dunn's perspective, calling things more in the flow and trying to figure out how to move slow, but still gain yards. Yeah. I mean, I think you nailed it. I don't really have a ton more to add there. But, you know, for me, those early downs, being able to run the ball efficiently, I think, you know, we didn't see a ton of that against Central Michigan. So I would think going forward, that's going to be a, a point of emphasis is success on those early downs. But I, I, you even touched on that. So beyond that, that's that's kind of what I think. Yeah, no, I agree. It's a good question, though. I mean, I I would love to give like a ton of, thematic options but i would just sound like an idiot trying to become the offensive coordinator <laughs> in the uh, in these questions so um next we got sherlock holmes he's at connor heffernan says how would you guys compare what we've seen from the d-line to past seasons i feel like we're elite there this year especially tyler lacy he may be the most dominant player on the team right now well i i think this is the best oklahoma state defensive line in my lifetime i mean i i, I can't think of another one that's loaded at every position. I mean, when Tyler Lacey goes inside at defensive tackle, I was actually thinking about this when we were talking about it. There were years where it was, you had one Vincent Taylor, you had one Emmanuel Ogba, you had one, you know, Cody Walter, uh, Cole Walter Scheid way back in the day, one Jimmy Bean, but you didn't have a unit that was capable of wreaking havoc together. I think it's, easily you know in my 27 years the the best oklahoma state defensive line that i can remember yeah and i know gundy keeps saying that the depth last year was a little bit more elite than this year but i kind of disagree because you know you lose guys like antoine and jernigan but Tua halamaka has played really well evers has played really well i liked what i've seen from clay in the central michigan game and then with the leos martin ford oliver these guys are all playing really, really well. So a C, though I didn't even mention, I, I think I agree with you. I think this is one of the the better defensive lines, if not one of the best in Oklahoma State history, like you said. And then well, Tyler Lacey, that shouldn't be a surprise. I, I mean, 
you and I were saying he's going to be a one, two, three round draft pick. Uh, I think right after last season. Yeah, I think it ain't three either. I mean, he's he's playing his tail off right now. And you know, back to what you just said about you know some of the guys you lose in Jernigan and Israel Antoine. I mean, I, I'll raise you a Trace Ford. Like what yeah. you lost there, I think you've made up for. And Tyler Lacey's versatility improved. I, th- I think he's just. He was great last year. Don't get me wrong, but he is on another level right now and is what I expected him to be. But I I just think that this, this defensive line showed, you know, on, on, on Saturday, what they really could be. I I think they're just kind of scratching the surface. Yeah, no, I agree. It's it's a great Ford looked like an animal. He was so good. He looked comfortable. In the first game, he looked, like I said, like somebody coming off of two bad knee injuries, and now he looks more comfortable, and I love it. You have to give also credit to Emory Jones for holding onto the ball at that mesh point of that read play where Trace Ford just crushed him. I mean, I, I don't know how that ball didn't come flying out on that. I think that was one of the like viral plays that Trace Ford made and blew up Tra- uh, Emory Jones, and I don't know how that didn't force a fumble. So. If I got hit like that, my arms and legs and head would fly off of my body. I'd, I'd certainly quit. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> um, last question, and thanks, guys, so much for all the questions. We've got Matthew Keith at the Matthew Keith. He says, considering how bad CMU's defense was against South Alabama, do you think the offense will be more like what we saw against Arizona State this season? I think I think Central Michigan gave up like 38, 31 or 38 to South Alabama. Can't remember off the top of my That's head. Rough. But the thing is, I, I think we said that after the game that they weren't very good. If Oklahoma State would have kept going tempo, I mean, they could have scored 70 points. I think it, so. 100%. Like, they purposely would have went down. So I think it'll be, I think it'll be a team that can consistently score in the high 30s, low 40s against against good teams. Like I don't, I don't think there's gonna be a lot of games where defenses that they're coming up to play. We'll be able to hold them for a lot less than that. Cause I think they're very talented. So I do think it's a yes to that question, but maybe even a little bit more efficient than that, especially as things get clicking, they get guys like Bray back. So I, I think that would be kind of my answer, but uh, central Michigan's defense, you are correct. Was not good. Well, I think we broke them too, because a loss at home to South Alabama is not great. Um, right. They, they got to get some things figured out. I, I was not impressed with their defense. I was impressed with their uh, versatility and execution on offense, but defensively they were as they were worse than I expected, and I did not expect them to be good. So, yeah, and that that's all we have, Kate. Well, that's fun, Dustin. I do miss you know I I don't love these games against FCS teams. Makes for a shorter podcast, of course. Um, I am ready to get to Baylor here in a couple weeks. That's going to be a fun episode next week. We'll revisit some of the things we said in the off season, see how we feel about them. Talk about the big 12 as a whole. I can't wait for that episode on the bye week but uh, yeah, Dustin, this was fun. Any final thoughts before we get out of here? I think uh, my, my only one is I know I was a little negative on Spencer Sanders and do not think <laughs> I'm off that bandwagon. I am still on board the Spencer Sanders train and I thought he had a good game. I just think his, his elite is better than that. Well, it would appear the paint on the back where you had your number three painted on. It doesn't, hasn't come off all the way from Saturday. <laughs> so 
yeah, no, I mean, we've been waving the flag for a long time on Spencer Sanders. We're not stopping now. So, um, well, if you're not already, follow us on Twitter at FeelsLike45Pod. Follow Dustin at Dustragoo and follow me at Cade Webb. But now you can also follow us on Instagram at FeelsLike45Pod. We've had a lot of people ask us about this. Really excited. I think it'll look a lot different. I think you may see some game day stuff while we're up in Stillwater. Um, but yeah, you can follow us on Instagram at feels like 45 pod. Super excited about that and uh, can't wait to get that off and going. So give us a follow there. Dustin, it's great seeing you. Hope to see you up there in Stillwater this weekend and we'll talk to you next week. Go Pokes.